You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Well, good day, Black Forest Chapel. Uh, I don't know if it's morning, afternoon, or evening as you're watching this, so um, we're in a strange time when we cannot gather together, uh, but we are still together as God's people. And God's word still goes out, ministry still moves forward, the gospel cannot be contained, the gospel cannot be stopped, and so i um, thankful that uh, we have a message for you for today, and that it would bless you. Um, we have a, a small group of six here that are um, in the congregation this morning, including my family, and so thankful um, that you, even though you're in your homes right now, can also partake in God's word. Um, the camera, I've heard, adds 10 pounds and a beard, so do not be, do not be alarmed. If I have to live as a hermit, I'm going to look like one, too. So it is not your screen. Um, a couple of rules for watching this video recording of the sermon, because we've never done this before. This is new ground for us. A couple of rules. Um, do not pause the video in some way that makes me look strange and weird so you can go get something to drink from the kitchen. My sons do that all the time. They'll pause live television, and then the, the character's face is all contorted, and, and then they laugh about it for 10 minutes. So please, out of respect, God is watching. Please don't do that. And then also, do not fast forward through any of these sections either, just to get to the good parts. It's all, it's all the good parts, right? It's all of God's word. So, um, those are the, the rules I'd ask you to, to obey by, um, uh, this, uh, today. Uh, let's pray together as we open God's word. Father, we thank you for your presence in all of our lives. Even though we are not gathered this, this morning, this afternoon, this evening, we're not all here together physically. We still belong to you. We're still family. We belong to one another, no matter where we are. Thank you, Lord, for the promises that you've made for us, that we, we may not always be together in, on this earth, Lord, but we will be together for eternity in heaven with you. Thank you that although there has been a major disruption in our lives, um, that the world, our country, our state, our community, we are essentially um, shut down because of this virus, Lord. That This is not outside of your understanding. This is not outside of your control, Father. You are not afraid of this. You are not surprised by any of this. You've allowed this in your providence for a purpose, for a reason, for a time. And so, Lord, help us to submit to you in the midst of this. To not live in fear or panic or hysteria to not make assumptions, to not try to grab a hold of things that are temporary. Lord, this, is, this is an awakening for your people to see that everything is fragile. All things can go away. Just as you have in your good pleasure given us many things, Lord, you can in your good pleasure because you love us, you can take those things away. And it's all because you want us to be like your son. So thank you, Lord, for all of those things. Lord, we don't want to celebrate illness, and we're not. We ask that you would protect your people, protect this church, those that we love and our families from this virus, from getting ill. 
We pray you protect our community, our neighbors, the people that we work with. Please protect our country. Be with our president, our vice president, the Congress, Lord, our governors, our state representatives. We pray for all those in authority, Father, as they try to, in, in many ways, in their own human nature, solve a problem. Father, I pray that all of us, including those in authority, would submit to you, that this would be a moment that they would put their hands in the air because they can control nothing. But we ask for good leadership. We ask for good and wise decisions that impact us, help us as your people to make wise decisions as well. We are not to be careless with our lives, Lord, but we are not to be fearful either. And so, Lord, as we gather as a scattered people today, um, we pray for your presence to be with us as we know it always is, Lord. Help us to experience more of you. As we spend more time in prayer and in the word, may we grow in a greater knowledge of your son. But Lord, also may we begin to obey more as well as we hear from you. So Lord, now as we open your word, uh, please speak to us. This is the only way you can, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. You inspired the scriptures. Please illuminate them now so we may understand and help us to apply them to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how are you doing, God's people, those who belong to Jesus Christ, those of you in this church body, how are you doing in light of this global pandemic? Have, have you sat down just to consider how you're, how you're walking through this? Or have you been so reactive? Have you been just on one side and the other and moving forward and moving backward and allowing fear and allowing your emotions to take, take control? We also were in an economic crisis and jobs are at stake, businesses are at stake, people's futures and retirements and homes and not to mention lives from health-related complications in this virus. A lot of things are at stake here. A lot of things are, are happening. How, how are you dealing with that? I know I've, I've gone through the, the ups and downs of emotions like we all have. I've, I've been frustrated. I've been angry at times. And, and then at the, the opposite end, I'm indifferent and feel like, well, we'll just wait this out. Kind of tired of everything, tired of the news cycles. And so then I just kind of take a quick mental break. I've wanted to forcibly fix everything. How do I fix this? How do I solve this problem? How do I save the things that seem to be falling through my fingers? And then on the other side of it, I've, I become kind of apathetic and put my hands up and just say, well, whatever. Right? I think we all have the, the, the back and forth here, the extremes. That's human nature. That's normal. It's, it's not good. It's sinful. We need to be trusting the Lord. But thankfully, by his Holy Spirit, I don't live there too long because I'm in prayer. And I, I trust the one who is in control of all things. And I'm in God's word and I look at his promises and I look at who he is and who I am because of Jesus. And I have nothing to fear. That everything is temporary, that God will provide, that he is trustworthy. And so for, for this message, as you, as, you, as you listen to this in your homes or with your family or, or whoever's with you right now, the, the thesis, if you will, or the, the theme of this message would be that disruption, disruption creates dependence. Disruption creates dependence. Disruption is not always a bad thing. Every once in a while, getting kicked off the hamster wheel is a good thing. There's another path. There's something else to do. There's other people out there. 
A lot of times we just get caught up doing the same thing all the time. If we're honest with one with ourselves, we would say that often we asked for change. I really wish this was different. I really wish I was, I was a different person or I would do things differently or the situation would come out different. We, we actually want change, but we want it to be on our own terms. When change comes and it's imposed on us, when our life is disrupted, we don't like that. But that's the very catalyst sometimes that we need to be transformed. And for us as believers, it is what we need to depend more on the living God. We depend far too much on ourselves. We depend on ourselves for our work, our finances, our families, our relationships, our future, our retirement, our hub. We depend on ourselves for, for much more than we, give, than, we, than we realize. And we might raise our hands in worship and truly and intentionally want to worship God, but these these fleshly desires, these carnal passions, these, these distractions in the world pull us away from true worship of God. And so now when there's a disruption, when everything is taken away, when it's stripped away, we are forced to get on our knees. We are forced to, to say, Lord, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm actually scared now. Everything was going along just fine. There's too much uncertainty here, Father. I, this, everything could look different. I could lose all of it. That's not a bad place to be. We don't want pain. We don't want these things to take place. But pain and suffering are what's necessary at times for us to be sanctified, to be made holy. We need the sin stripped from our life. We need surgery done. And God, in his infinite wisdom and his loving kindness as a father, will at times take things away from us. And so how are you doing in the midst of all this? Because the world is panicking. You've probably seen the stories, you've read the news feeds, you've, you've watched the YouTube clips of, of uh, people wrestling, fighting over toilet paper and paper towels. And I'll, there's, there's, um, we have a friend who uh, works at Walmart, and they actually had to hire an armed guard to stand in the paper products aisle to protect the toilet paper. That's where we live, that's where we're at right now. Right. There's looting going on. There was, a, there was a video of broad daylight, two people walking into Walgreens with the big sacks, and they just cleared the shelves. They stole lots of products and items. There were people around. The manager was around. They just they let them do it because it's criminal activity, and, and they weren't going to go after them. I'm sure they called the police, but they just brazenly, openly came and just stole stuff off the shelves. I heard yesterday that there were people calling because of the stay-at-home order in Colorado, in Colorado Springs, so we're supposed to stay at home. Obviously, we're allowed to go to essential places. There's, there's, condi- there's conditions there. People were calling 911 because they see someone walking down the street, walking their dog in the car. They're calling the police. They're calling 911 to see if they can leave the house. Common sense out the door. It's just, it's, it's hysteria, it's panic, it's, it's uncertainty. And if you don't have the hope of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have the hope of heaven, of eternity, all these temporary things, that, that's their treasure. That's what they hold on to. That's what we used to hold on to, but no longer. They're living in darkness. We have the light of the Lord with us. We don't have to live like that. So how are you doing in the midst of this? Are you acting like the world? Are you just complaining, grumbling? Are you talking about our leaders in terrible ways, or are you praying for them? 
had a conversation with, with one of our members this week and how really it's so easy to criticize. It's so easy to be the armchair president, the armchair governor, right? And, and do things from your chair and think that you know how everything works. We might not agree with all the policies. I don't agree with everything that's, that's going on. And I'm not going to talk about those things necessarily, but I, we can pray for them so that it's, we have a peaceful life so that things will go well with us. Are you doing those things? Or are you, as the world goes, joining in the conversation? Disruption creates dependence. Consider the fact that this is a gift for us to look at all the things we've held on too tightly to, and maybe we can start to let go of them now because it's outside of our control. And this is not unique to 2000 to 2020 in Colorado Springs or United States of America. This, this is not unique to our time. I was reading an article um, about third century Rome. There was a really bad plague that went through, one of the worst in, 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 the, in their history. So third century, so AD um, 20, was it 242 to AD 269 or something like that. So third century Rome, uh, the plague was so bad that it was killing, they, they estimate it was killing around 5,000 people a day. 5,000 people a day. And what was, what was the, the non, so there were Christians there, there were believers in Christ in that, in that city, and then there were non-Christians. The non-Christians of that time were abandoning their own family members. They were throwing them into the streets out of panic. Before they were dead, they were throwing them into the streets, helpless. They were riding over them in the streets as if they were dirt. It was every person, every man and woman for themselves. That's how they lived. What were the Christians doing at that time? The Christians were loving people. They were loving one another, as they were called to do. They were serving, helping one another. They were holding one another in their arms as they died. Some of them were contracting the disease because of their desire to help others. They were helping non-Christians. They were meeting their needs. They were feeding them. They were, they were giving them medical help. They were caring for them in their, on their deathbed. And many of them suffered the consequence of doing that. They were pleased to do that because that's what they were called to do as, as, as believers in Jesus. They weren't called to be like the world. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that we should go out and expose ourselves to COVID-19 and recklessly wander into the hospitals. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying that we need to act differently. What are you doing that's different? Are you sitting at home, binge-watching TV, just waiting this thing out? Just so that it just, it, it'll be done in a couple weeks, it'll be done in a month. And is, that, is that what you're doing? Or is this the opportunity for you to spend hours in prayer? seeking the Lord for your community. That those people that are dying in the hospital that you can't get to, that you can't minister to right now, that they might not know the Lord Jesus. They might not be in eternity with you. Are you praying for them? Are you spending hours a day praying for them? Are you FaceTiming with family members that don't know you, with friends? Are you spending time virtually the best that you can? Maybe you don't like to talk to people on the phone. You don't like to face, but maybe you do that for a little while to help someone who's lonely right now, who needs help, who's in despair. Are you wiring someone money who might need it? Are you ordering some groceries and having them delivered to their house? You don't have to be physically with them. You can do many things. We, we are a creative people. God has created us to be creative, to serve, to use our gifts, to give of ourselves. So what are you doing? Are you just watching the stock market every day? 24-hour news cycles? Or are you in God's word asking him to use you? 
praying for your family, praying for your church. If you can't physically be out doing, here's the interesting thing. Um, I think a lot of us, when we can't physically do something, we don't know what to do. We're so used to our Christianity being tied to our works. We, 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 it's part of our identity. And yes, our works need to flow out of our faith in Jesus. But perhaps right now, because we're on lockdown, because you have to stay at home, because there's nowhere to go, now's the time for some, some different type of worship, some different type of service. Perhaps now's the time that you sit in a quiet place in your home and you just pray and you learn to talk to God in a way that's totally different, to have a conversation with him, to learn to hear from him because it's quiet, because you're not busy. Our, our excuse for, for, for many years, what I hear from most Americans and most American Christians is, I'm too busy. It's, I'm, I'm too busy, right? Busyness is, the, is the, the idol of our time. Well, for many of us now, we're not as busy. What excuse do you have now? We need you to pray. The lost need you to pray. Our community, our, our, our church, we need you to be in prayer. Consistently, constantly, about everything, as Paul talked about in Philippians. Maybe spending some extra time getting, getting new disciplines, new habits formed in your life to cultivate holiness, to walk with the Lord, spending more time with your family. I mean, there's, there's plenty of good, virtuous things you could be doing. What are you doing? How is it different than what the world's doing? Just consider it. Just, I've spent time this week just sitting and thinking about these things because I've had more time to think about them, and it's a gift. And so as you think about those things, and as we think about the, the nature of disruption and how this is really, it feels like it's tearing the fabric of everything we know. It feels like it's very uncomfortable. I want to um, consider the life of Joseph as we've been studying him since last fall. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we, we stepped out of, our, out of our, um, our sermon series on the life of Joseph when we talked about anxiety from Matthew 6. And then last week, Scott Barbie thankfully stepped in and he talked about um, unbelief and persevering in these times out of Hebrews 12. And, but I want to jump back into our story. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49. We're going to be in verses 22 through 26. So if you've been with us during the sermon series, we've been looking at the life of Joseph. We start in chapter 37. We're almost done. A bit of a disruption, but not necessarily a bad thing. And we stepped out of this patriarchal blessing of Jacob. So Jacob is blessing all of his sons. He's about to die. He's about to go the way of his father. the way all of us will go eventually. Death is a certainty. And so he's about to, to die, and so he's blessing his sons. And we've seen him bless them, but also really pour judgment upon them, those who have acted improperly, those who were sinful in their earlier lives. And so we, we saw him talk to Reuben about his sin, his, his um, infidelity, his adultery in his own household. We looked at Simeon and Levi and their violence, and we looked at Judah, the last one we looked at, and, and his was much more glowing, right? We saw a, a redemption in Judah's life. And then we have six other brothers, and then we have Joseph, and then we have Benjamin. Um, we're going to focus on Joseph this morning, or, the, or today. The other seven brothers, obviously they are um, they're important. They're, they're in the story. There's a blessing for each of them. 
Um, they don't have as much other texts surrounding them. Reuben had, a, had quite a, a good amount of text in other portions of Scripture, so we could put together a composite, a sketch, as to what the blessing looked like moving forward with his tribe. Simeon and Levi in the same way, and Judah as well. Um, the other brothers, we, we have a little bit, and there's some interesting facts in there. There's some interesting things. We can, we can place um, their location as far as the, the tribal lands. You can look in numbers. We can see how their tribe either increased or decreased. Then we have a little bit of their personality in some of these prophetic blessings. But otherwise, we really don't have a lot of text. And so instead of spending a lot of time with, with those brothers, I want to move and just talk about Joseph. He has the, the longest portion. It's almost as if Jacob was just waiting. It was just bubbling up. He was, he was blessing these other brothers, and some of them have one sentence or you know, a, a very few words. Others have a little bit more. And Joseph, is just, it's an explosion. It's, it's poetic. It's, it's almost it's, it's psalm-like. It's, he's singing these words over his son. He's, he's looking at his beautiful son and his beautiful life, and he just wants to pour everything he possibly can on the head of this, of this man before he dies. And he's already blessed Joseph by, we saw in a previous chapter, in chapter 48, he already blessed Joseph by blessing his two sons, by providing the double portion that really belonged to the eldest son. Reuben forfeited that, that right with his with his sin. So Judah got the leadership side of the birthright, and, and, and Joseph got the, the double blessing, the double portion of the inheritance. And that went to his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So we saw that back in chapter 48. We already talked about that a little bit. And so he already blessed Joseph, but he wants to, he wants to, he wants to keep going. He wants to pour it out. And I love Spurgeon um, introducing this. says that the blessing which Jacob pronounced upon Joseph was infinite in extent. He seemed to ransack heaven and earth in order to express the desire of his soul and what he knew as a prophet to be the purpose of God. I love that. He ransacked heaven and earth to express the desire of his soul. He wanted to pour out this blessing upon his son. Let's read 49, 22-26 together. This is Jacob's blessing over Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, the blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. What we've been doing is um, kind of walking through each one of these brothers and looking at the blessing and then looking at their, their past life, kind of moving up to this point, and then looking at how it plays out as a future blessing on, on their tribes moving forward. If we recall the life of Joseph, his was a life of disruption to the fullest degree. Young man, age 17, the whole world in front of him. We've already gone through the story many times, but it's good to revisit. Had the favor of his father to the point where he got a, a nice coat 
right? Of many colors, really a sign of authority, a sign of responsibility, a sign of blessing. As much as he was favored by his father, he was hated that much more by his brothers. They were envious, they were bitter. And when Joseph went to find the brothers, because they were, they were off and not reporting back, and they weren't where they were supposed to be, and as he approached, they planned to, to kill him, to murder him. Because Joseph had these dreams, God provided dreams, and Joseph was going to be, going to be a leader. He was going to be in a position of authority, and his brothers and his family were going to bow down to him. And, and obviously his brothers didn't like that very much. And so they wanted to kill him. And instead of killing him, they ended up selling him into slavery to the Ishmaelite caravan. And he had to ride all the way over to Egypt. And then he was in Potiphar's house. And he was essentially a slave living in this house. And he went about his duties. But God was with him. God was always with him. His, his, his love was on him in a steadfast way, the Bible says. And Joseph was, he prospered wherever he went. And God had gave him favor with the house of Potiphar. And, and, and Potiphar's wife saw this, this righteous man and saw how handsome he was and how good what he was doing and decided she wanted him for himself. And, and Joseph would not have anything of that. He invoked the name of God. How could I do such a wicked thing against God? Your husband has entrusted me with everything except for you. And he refused to give him the temptation. And so he was accused, falsely accused, and imprisoned because of his righteousness. So just when he's getting back to normalcy, just when things seem to be looking up and he has, he has authority and he has favor and he's got a job and he's, he's making inroads and he's, he's seeing the benefits of all of his hard work and he's established himself again, disruption. Disruption from his home. Disruption now from his new home as a slave thrown in the prison. The same thing, God is with him. The steadfast love is upon him. He's with the, his favor now with, with the keeper of the prison. And Joseph begins to prosper once again. You, you, <laughs> he's deeply rooted in God. And so he is nourished and sustained by God. He's abiding in him. And God provides some cellmates, and they've got dreams, and Joseph interprets the dreams well, and he asks for a favor to get him out when, 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 when the king's servants leave, and they forget about him, and he's left there for two more years. He had hope, another disruption. Sometimes when you're just in the, in the pit, and then you have hope, and then it goes away, you would just wish that it never would have happened in the first place. It's almost worse to have hope and then not have it realized. But finally, the king, Pharaoh of Egypt, he has a dream. And this, this is the time. This is, this is God's purpose. This is God's providence in Joseph's life. And he is pulled out of prison because he interpreted the dream for Pharaoh. And he's always, Joseph is always talking about God. He's always invoking the name of God. Only God can interpret dreams. Only God will do this. This is what God is going to do. It's never about him. And all of these disruptions... How did Joseph grow? How did he cultivate his walk with God? Everything was taken from him more than once. His future was always uncertain. Even when he rose to power and was given the second in command and all authority in Egypt and could really do whatever he wanted to do, that was still a place of affliction for him. 
It was still not his home. It was still essentially a prison in a lot of ways. This was not his choice to be there. He still had to rely on God to do everything. Now he had to manage an entire nation. Now he had to manage, really, and, and God used him to save the entire world from the famine. How much more did he have to rely on the Lord during that time? How did he, in all these disruptions, how did he cultivate a walk with God? Because every time he spoke, he has very few, few words to speak in all of, these, all of these chapters. He's always invoking the name of God. So he had this deep, abiding walk with God. The only way to understand that is all of his downtime, all of his work time, he gave to the Lord. How much time do you think he prayed every day? He didn't have the Bible. He had the oral tradition. He had what his father had taught him about God, what his father had told him God had done, what his grandfather told him. What kind of a relationship did he have with him that he could stand there in the face of temptation day after day after day and say, I would never do this wicked thing against God? How does he know it's wicked? God has revealed himself through his family, through oral tradition, through his dreams, through his personal interaction. Remember, God was with him. God's with him. Joseph knew God deeply, intimately. Why? Because he spent a lot of time with him. In this disruption that we have right now, how much time are you spending with God? How much time do you spend, as the world does, lamenting, complaining, angry, frustrated, trying to solve, trying to fix, trying to grab, trying to hold on to, versus how much time are you just resting with him, having the peace of Christ cover your mind and your heart, knowing that this is all temporary, it's all fragile, it was never meant to be forever. Think of how Joseph walked through all that he did because he spent time with the Lord. He, relied, he knew God so he could trust God. All those disruptions created dependence in this man. An amazing story. Truly something to emulate. And so here is the blessing. Joseph is a fruitful bough. A fruitful bough by a, by a spring. His branches run over the wall. This is a beautiful picture. He's a fruitful vine, if you will. He's a young tree, another translation might say. So he's rooted. He's deeply rooted. His character is rooted in God. He's being nourished by a spring because he's abiding with them. So think of John 15. When Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Right? But apart from me, you can do Nothing. Nothing. The imagery I get, which is just um, when it comes to the vine and the branches, is a lot of times Christians, we don't abide, we don't stay with, we're not nourished by the, by the true vine, by Jesus Christ, but we like being around him. We like doing Christian things. And so it's like a pile of branches that have been snapped off, that have been broken off, and we set it around the tree, thinking, well, we're, we're close. And there's, there's some water over there that I know the tree, we're close, right? But then the branches just die, the leaves wither. Why? Because we're not connected. We're not abiding. We're not remaining with, with the vine. We're around the vine, but that's not our source anymore. And so sin will break off some of that communion for us, and we need to repent of it and join communion again with our Lord. And then we see his branches run over the wall. So not only is his, are his roots, roots deep and his character deep in God, but then his influence spreads out, right? 
It's not just about him, but his family's blessed. And then Egypt is blessed. The whole nation, the world is blessed by this man's character, by his abiding, by his walk. It reminds me of uh, Psalm 1. Many of us know Psalm 1 because we, we always start there, right? <laughs> We're trying to get through. Sometimes we don't make it very far, but Psalm 1's a good one because it's, um, it's always at the front and it's always applicable for us. But listen to some of the verbiage here. It's very similar, as David writes. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So does this remind you of anyone? A Joseph? He chose not to walk in the counsel of the wicked. He didn't walk with his brothers. He didn't do the same things as his brothers did. He did things differently. He didn't stand in the way of sinners. He didn't sin like they did. He didn't choose to sin openly and purposely with Potiphar's wife, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. He didn't sit with all the other sinners in Egypt and just scoff at other righteous things. He chose to be righteous and to be holy and to do things differently. So he didn't walk in those ways. His delight was what? In the law of the Lord, in the instruction of the Lord, in the the voice of God, God speaking to him, the truth of who God is, the goodness of God as as relayed to him by his family, as, as revealed to him in his dreams. And on this law, he meditates day and night. On this instruction, we meditate day and night. This is what a, this is what a blessed man does. This is what a blessed woman does. And what is that person like when they do not conform to the world, but spend time with their God, meditating on, listening to him? What, what, is it, what are they like? He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. It sounds like Joseph, right? This is, this, is, this is the virtuous life. This is the life that we want to live. This is the life that's pleasing to God. So I love that, that Jacob's initial assessment of Joseph's life is this, this fruitful, character-driven, influential life that he, has, that he has lived, that he has cultivated. What's next? Verse 23 he moves down to the reality of his situation and what happened to him. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Now, who are the archers that bitterly attacked him, that shot at him, that harassed him severely? They're the very brothers that are sitting around this circle. They're all gathered around, and Jacob is, is, is just pouring out these blessings. He can't say enough good things about his son Joseph. And can you just imagine him looking around the room at the, the archers who bitterly attacked him, who shot at him, who harassed him severely, his brothers. It's okay to be called out for what we've done. But this is the truth of the matter. So his brothers bitterly attacked him. You see, they had their own virus, if you will, a viral sin of bitterness and envy that just innervated the whole family. It was spread around. And one of them would talk about Joseph over here and that would spread over here. And yeah, I can't believe he got that coat. And I can't believe dad said this about him. And I can't believe his dream. And it just built up into a murderous rage. They're ready to kill their brother because of the, the viral sin. Coronavirus is terrible. Any virus is terrible. Death is terrible. 
sin is much more prevalent. Sin is a much bigger issue that needs to be dealt with. If you were watching one of your favorite news channels and they have all the screens up with all the different counts of where's the virus now and how many people have it and how many people are, have, have pa- you know, passed away from it, how many people have recovered from it. And what if we put up there a graphic about sin? How many people are still in bondage to sin? How many people are still lost and separated from God forever because of their sin? Because of the sickness of sin in our, in our hearts. And how many of us are, how many people are recovering because they've been given the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. They've been given the cure, the answer for their sin, that Jesus died on the cross for them. He took the punishment for the sin upon himself. He died and he rose again and he defeated death and he defeated the power of sin. How many, how many people would we see being counted on that screen? That's our job. That's our mission. That's our focus. Our mission doesn't stop because we're not in these seats right now, because we're not in this building. This is a place for us to be encouraged, refreshed, to grow together, yes, to be equipped, and then to go. Far too many people are perishing because of, of their sin and they don't know Jesus. The archers bitterly attacked him. So they have this, they have this viral sin of bitterness and envy, right? And unfortunately, Joseph had to involuntarily socially distance himself for 20 plus years by going all the way to Egypt for this thing. He was taken away from everything, isolated from everyone. But even though that was happening and the repercussions of that sin and the repercussions of being shot at and harassed severely, even though that was taking place, look at this beautiful picture of how he remained steadfast and unmoved in all of it. Yet his bow, verse 24, his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. His bow remained unmoved. So the picture here, if you've ever done any archery before, you've been to camp and you've tried to get it on the on, on the. You know, you get the, the, the arrow knocked in here and you try to get him and it's bouncing around and you slap it against your, you know, your arm and then you realize, oh, I've, I've got a wrist guard now, right? And then your fingers are hurting and the arrow's flying all over the place and you, you finally get the hang of it, right? And I grew up archery hunting, so when I was 12 years old, my dad taught me how to shoot a bow and I remember him just t- teaching me how to steady it and I had to just learn, to st- I had to strengthen myself because of the weight of the draw. But if you held it too long, you would shake, right? You're not going to be able to hold that very long. But Joseph had, had, a, had a target. He had a goal, and that was to please God. That was to be with God, to remain with God, no matter what happened. And so he would draw back this bow. It said that, that his bow remained unmoved, and that God was strengthening his arms to stay on target. So picture that. Picture him drawing back his bow. He's on mission. He's got, he's got a task to complete. And there's... Arrows just shooting past him, right? Hitting him in the leg, scratching his ear. I was at the, I was at the, the shooting range yesterday and the indoor range and we were socially distanced in our lanes, right? And there was a, there was a gentleman three lanes down. Um, and I was, I was, uh, firing my handgun and got a new handgun. And so I'm doing, I just have the, the regular, you know, the, the small little ear protection pieces in. And all of a sudden, just the biggest blast 
just boom, like as loud as you could possibly. I mean, it, it just shook me. And the, 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 the heat and the, the air moved and my target moved. This guy's got some, he had some, you know, um, looks like a tactical, you know, semi, like a, a rifle, uh, some type of tactical semi-automatic rifle. And he, I don't know what it was. I couldn't get close enough to him because we were supposed to stay away from each other. But um, he was doing the 25 yardest. But this thing was powerful. Pretty big shell casings popping out of there too. So I don't know what he had. It was definitely not silenced, and it was it was it was definitely to to knock down houses or cars or whatever whatever. You, but this thing was just, and I'm trying to shoot, and I'm now I'm, I'm anticipating when is this blast going to come? Because it literally just moves you. I mean, it was the heat of it. This, this it was it was amazing. It was so powerful, and I wanted to go see what it was and how much it cost because it looked pretty pretty fun. I wanted to be on the other end of that, right? But I didn't get a chance to. But can you imagine, he's trying to honor the Lord. He's, he's trying to hold steady and just arrow after arrow flying past his head, wounding him, nicking him. Bitter arrows, harassing arrows. And yet he stood true and he was unmoved. And all the temptations, not just with Potiphar's wife, the temptation to grumble against God, to be angry against God, to run away. What's, what's, what's the first reaction of you're holding a weapon and Joseph had a weapon. He had work to do, right? He was not just some helpless man just saying, he, he, had, he had a purpose. God had given him work. What's the first reaction if someone starts shooting at you? You're either going to throw it down and run away, right? Or you're going to get mad and start aiming at the, right? You're going you're to get revenge. You're going to go after the person. You're going to try to stop them. He waited on the Lord. He held steady. And God blessed that. And God held his arms that he held his frame. God was the one who kept him from moving. Look at this beautiful picture. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile. He was strengthened to be able to handle more and more. Why? Because the disruptions created dependence. He, 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 He worked on his spiritual muscles. By the hands, God's the one that did this, by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your father who will help you, by the almighty who will bless you. If you look at these five different names, so Jacob packed in five different names of God here. They're, they're very personal. The mighty one of Jacob. He could have said the mighty one of Abraham. He could have said the mighty one of Isaac, his father. But the mighty one of Jacob, the shepherd, the stone of Israel, the God of your father, Jacob is invoking his God, saying, my God is your God, and my God helped you, and my God will help you, even in the future, even moving forward. This blessing is for for your children, for your progeny, for for the nation of Ephraim and Manasseh that 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 will last, that will move into the future. God will bless them. God will be their, their strength. The mighty one of Jacob, from there the shepherd, the stone of Israel, the God of your father, very personal, if you look back at chapter 48, when, God, when Jacob was blessing Joseph by adopting his two sons as his own so that he could rightfully give the inheritance, the full inheritance to them. In chapter 49, um, verse 15, and he blessed Joseph and he said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who, was my, who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. He's been his shepherd. He's been his protector, his caretaker. Because sheep are inherently what? They're, they're stubborn. They're helpless. 
They're not very smart. Jacob knew who his strength was. Jacob knew he was weak. Anything good in his life, any, anything that happened that was of any virtue, of any value, was because God provided it to him. And Jacob is saying, this God who is my God is your God. And then he blessed him with that. He, he spoke that into his life. The stone of Israel, this picture of a rock, and of, I, I love that picture. And if you, if you turn with me to Isaiah, there's just some beautiful language in, in the, the prophet of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, and as he speaks to the God's people, you know, God's people are in rebellion. There, there's definitely a, an exile component to, 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 as he's writing. But ultimately, no matter what happens, no matter how much God's people rebel against him, no matter how, how much he has to discipline them by using other nations, he still loves his people. He still comforts them. He's still their God. The promises are still true. Obey me. Do what I say because I love you and I'll bless you. Right? Let's just read some of Isaiah 25 and then through 26. So Isaiah 25 and then through part of Isaiah 26. Listen to the words here. Listen to who God is. Listen to who we are as his people. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and shade, a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against the wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is put down. God's the protector. He, he's in control of all these things. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. This is our, this is our hope. This is our hope that we have now in Jesus Christ, fulfilled in, in Christ. That we will be with God forever on his holy mountain, the new Jerusalem, heavenly Jerusalem. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. God's not going through a drive through and getting leftover reheated stuff that's been under a heat lamp, right? And some watered-down Coke or whatever. My, my sons like to mix every drink from the, 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 the soda dispenser and make this disgusting concoction and then go back and try again, right? No, it's going to be much better than that. It's going to be the best food, the choice food, the choice wine. It's going to be amazing. This is what he has for us. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations, sin and death. Verse 8, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Does that sound familiar? Does it sound like Revelation 21.4? Right? The promise, the victory is already his. It's, it's his. It's ours. Look at this promise to his people if they would just seek him again. Stop holding on to the world. Stop holding on to all this temporary stuff. Stop being idolatrous. 
going after worldly things and worldly pleasures and, and feeding the flesh. Instead, you go after him and you seek him and his goodness and his righteousness. And then everything is added to you. Everything. And there are plenty of people out there that are lost that need to hear this good news, that we want to be around that table with us. He will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people will be taken away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. The Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. And Moab shall be trampled down in his place, as straw is trampled down in a dunghill. And he will spread out his hands in the midst of it, as a swimmer spreads his hands out to swim. But the Lord will lay low his pompous pride, together with the skill of his hands. All the principalities, all the authorities, all, all the, anything, any of the structures in place that, that think they have control over everything, that, that, that oppress people, that take advantage of people, that rob, that steal from people, that create chaos and hysteria. Any, any of those powers will be laid low. They're going to try to spread out. They're going to try to grab in prideful ways all the things that they're losing, but God will trample it down. They cannot stop him. He is the Lord God. Verse 12, And the high fortifications of his walls he will bring down, lay low and cast to the ground to the dust. Verse, chapter 26, verse 1, In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation, righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. And here's, here's the key, verse 3 and 4. So write these down, underline these, spend some time with these. Read through these chapters again, but verse 3 and 4. Because of God, because of what he does, when everything else around you feels like it's, it's crushing you, coming down around you, that there's no hope, that there's all this uncertainty. Verse 3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Some translations say, the rock eternal. He is the foundation. He is never shaken. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You need to know your God in order to trust him. You need to be in his word. You need to be in prayer and not just telling him a few things that you want or complaining about a few things. Yes, bring all of it, but spend time talking with your father, talking with this God, who controls everything. Asking him for things, yes, but glorifying him, praising him, asking him to do some work in your heart. Let this disruption create dependence. Let this disruption create a sense of dissonance, a little bit of uncomfortableness. It's okay to say, Lord, I I see some things in me I don't like right now, Father. I see my sin. I see my need for security. I see the fragility of all things, that I'm really after the temporal things, not the eternal, Lord. I really like comfort. I'm very prideful. I'm very arrogant. I'm legalistic. I'm idolatrous. Confess these things to God. Let this time of disruption disrupt things spiritually so that you may come back to the living God and and walk with him in a different way. Don't waste this time. Don't just sit and binge watch and wait for it to be done. Wouldn't you like to have perfect peace? Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. He's all we have to hold on to. He's all that Joseph ever had. 
in that caravan, how much time did he have just to spend time talking to God, crying out to God? In that house as a slave, how much time did he have spending with the Lord? In that prison cell, in that prison, even in prosperity in Egypt, warding off temptation, trying to manage a global famine, how much did he have to depend on the Lord? So what are a couple of applications here? We've, we've, we've already kind of rounded a few of them. But if you're taking notes today, um, the first application, let the disruption create dependence. Let this be a time of change and transformation for you. Consider how Joseph may have grown in the knowledge and love of God, his walk with God through all that he went through. Consider how you can do that now. Consider how this time can be beneficial for you how you can spend more time in prayer. I want to ask everyone in this church, I don't know how much time you typically, and this is not about just a length of time, setting a timer, letting the bell go off. I, I don't want to get into all of that. But you know how much you really talk to the Lord. You know how much you really, and, and you know what you talk about. You know how much you really read the word. If, you have more, if you're at home now more than you ever were before, if you don't have time to go run errands and run, you're not at the coffee shops, you're not maybe at work, work as much as you were, you're not doing your hobbies like you were before, maybe you've already cleaned out your garage, maybe you've already organized your closet, you're, maybe you're done with a few things. Take some more time with the Lord. Find that quiet place and, and just spend time with him. If your mind wanders, as it wanders to this place, pray about that thing. As it wanders over here, pray about that thing. I, I, my mind wanders all the time, and there's lots of distractions. And I have to bring myself back and say, oh, sorry, I've, I, I was talking to you, Lord. I'm sorry. <laughs> my, right? my, my attention span can be difficult. It's okay. Spend time with him. Work out these spiritual muscles. Grow. Let him strengthen your arms. Let him hold you up. Let, you need to stand firm. Because this world, the panic is crashing around us, and we're giving into it a little bit too much. It reminds me of uh, the movie Braveheart and the Battle of Sterling and Braveheart, if you've seen that movie, the Mel Gibson movie. and So the, the Scotsmen were, were fighting against the English and faces were painted, right? You got the blue face paint, you got the kilts and the whole picture. And an epic, really fun uh, movie, historically, historic biography, obviously a lot of sensationalism for Hollywood's sake, but the, a lot of really um, interesting components to it. One of them was that the English had a really strong cavalry, so they had tons of riders on horses that were just going to run over the Scots. The Scots didn't have that many. They, they, had, they had men, but not, not as nearly as many to spare. The king, Edward the Longshanks, would even you know, allow some of his infantry to get killed just to, as a diversion. So he had plenty to spare. The, the Scots did not. And so they had this cavalry. How were they going to solve this problem when they're faced on the field of battle? You have you know, hundreds, if not thousands, of horses racing after you, and you got men on the ground. And so they decided to create spears, really long spears. You may remember this part of the movie. And the 10, 12 feet long, if not longer, and they would make really sharp spears. And they had them all sitting on the, on the front, front ranks of their, of their army. And as the cavalry came in, they didn't want to... They didn't want to show their hand too quickly because they needed the horses to get the riders as close as they possibly could. And then at the very, at the right time, they would all pick up the spears, you know, dig them in, and then they would just hold their ground and the horses would impale themselves and the riders would be thrown off and they would take out the cavalry, essentially. All the, the middle of the entire army would be wiped out. And so then they could attack, and that's how they were able to be successful. And so, but the key was they had to hold the ground. 
Just like Joseph had to hold the bow while he was being attacked, they had to hold. Can you imagine the thunder of the horses and the ground shaking and the mud flying and the, the vitriol and the, the, the anger and the, the fierceness of this army that has had numerous victories before coming at you and you have to wait till they're, they're you know, just within so many yards of you before you pick up these spears and put them in the ground and you're hoping that they lock in in place and you're hoping you're strong enough to hold them and you're hoping that they impale the horses and that you would survive this onslaught. And the, and the charge from William Wallace was, was hold, right? Hold, even though they were coming in and you were scared and you, you wanted to give up and you wanted to run away or you wanted to, to attack too early. You had to hold, you had to wait for the right time. Joseph held, he waited for God, he waited for salvation. He did not take anything in his own hands and God strengthened him. This is your time to learn to do that, to stop reacting and, and lashing out at the world around you and lashing out at people and trying to, trying to protect yourself. You can't save yourself. This is a time to stop running away from everything. This is a time to, to strengthen yourself in the Lord, to stand on the rock and to trust him and have faith and say, I'm not going to move right now. I'm going to be firm. I'm going I'm I'm to stand my ground. And that's the second application. As you begin to depend on the Lord, let nothing move you. Second application, let nothing move you. Hold the draw. Let God strengthen you. Stay on mission. Share the gospel. Be on mission. Psalm 112, we'll end here, is a, uh, one of my favorite psalms. Psalms 111 and 112 go, typically go together. Perhaps this will be something good for you to read in your extra time with the Lord today and this week. Psalm 112, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. There's a, do you see the, the similarities of blessing and fearing the Lord and delighting in his law, delighting in his commandments, delighting in his, in his, his instruction? When God speaks to us through his word, he strengthens us. We delight in those things. We fear God and not man. We fear God and not the world. We fear God and not our circumstances. And there's blessing that flows. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. See, this consistent theme, Joseph was being poured, the blessing was being poured out on him and his future progeny. Why? Because he was faithful. He feared God more than man. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. Is it dark right now? Do things seem kind of dim? Not as bright of a future as you maybe had a few weeks ago? Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. You can have joy in this time. And here's what we are to be. Here's, here's what we're to do. He is gracious and merciful and righteous. We are to be different than the world. When the world's grabbing food and toilet paper out of other people's hands, we are to be gracious and merciful. I had someone cut in front of me at the grocery store. I, I was just, it was just one, they, they just cut in front of me because I don't, did they fear that they were going to close? I don't, it's panic. There was no reason for it. And the guy behind me started to get upset because he was obviously next in line too. <laughs> and I just, I said, don't worry about it. It's fine. I'm not in that big of a hurry. And if, if, if that will help this person, 
We're to be gracious, merciful, righteous, not fighting back, not doing all the things the world's doing. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends. Are you dealing generously? Are you lending? Even if your supply has gone down, even if your future is not as stable as it was before, can you still give? Are you still giving to those around you? Are you still able to give to the church? Even if your income has been cut right now, maybe you're on unemployment right now, do you trust God? I've got emails from Life Network and from the Navigators and all these other ministries. They rely on people's gifts. They rely on on the mission to go forward by being funded. And a lot of their funding is drying up because Christians, believers, are being shaken and they're stopping giving because they don't know what's going to take, what's going to happen. God has endless storehouses of riches. You don't need to be afraid. He will provide for you. Be wise. Maybe you don't give as much as you did or maybe you give more because you want to trust him. An act of faith. I don't know. These ministries need to go on. God's work needs to go on. It is well with a man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. Verse 7, he is not afraid of bad news. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Read Psalm 12, 112. Psalm 112. Read that Psalm today, this week. Read Isaiah 26. Read Isaiah 25 and 26. Read Isaiah 41. Read John 15. Read your Bible, I guess, is the point. <laughs> There's plenty. There's, I've got a lot of ver- Just read the scriptures. Be encouraged. Know who your God is. Trust in him. Don't be shaken. Don't fear bad news. We are his people. He's not going anywhere. We belong to him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that is living and active that you reveal yourself in love to us through the scriptures, that you interact with us, that you commune with us in prayer, that you hear us as we pray, that you answer prayer in your own way, in your own timing. Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. Thank you that you are trustworthy, that you are the rock eternal. You're our shepherd. You care for us. You're our savior. We cannot save ourselves. Thank you for saving us. And thank you that we have work to do by sharing this good news of your great salvation with those around us. Please remove a spirit of fear, Father. We don't have that anymore. We have a spirit of power, of love, of self-control. Fill us, Holy Spirit, to do your work. Show us the things that need to be done, Lord. We, Our flesh... Just, we just give in so much, Father. Holy Spirit, you well up in us and we're reading your word and Lord God, you, you, we are truly desiring to do good things and then we walk to the next room or we have a difficult interaction or doubt creeps in and we give up and we sit on our couch and we turn the TV on and we waste our life. You're coming like a thief. We don't know when you're coming. All of this is going away. 
This is just this disruption, this things going away, future of our, of our jobs and the security that we had going away. Lord, it's all going away someday anyway. We can't take it with us. And if you return before we die, it's gone. All we have is you. That's all we need. That's all Joseph had. He had nothing of his own. All he had was you. Help us to be more like your servant. Thank you for the blessings you poured on his life. Father, thank you for the blessings in our life. We submit ourselves to you. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.